Well, uh, I got a note earlier this week that uh, the Monroe Scholars were coming. We're grateful that you're here, yes? And the note said, uh, Dan Boone isn't going to be able to make it. Would you be able to fill in for the college president, Dan Boone, and go just chat with the Monroe Scholars? So I said, sure, I would love to meet with the Monroe Scholars. This morning I got a text. said, hey, Bubba, I lost my voice. Would you be able to fill in for me in chapel? That was about an hour ago. So I know you've been waiting with bated breath to hear what the general superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene was going to tell you, especially this week as we dream about the context of justice in our church in this community. And well, you know, sorry, you got me. And I got this, hang on, I'm getting a text. Oh, it's Pope Francis. He's wondering if I'll fill in for him on Easter Sunday service for St. Peter's. So, would I get to wear the hat? Uh, oh, hang on, wait. No, Brendan, I'm not going to fill in for you for your class presentation in Living Issues today. Yes, it just doesn't end. Hey, listen, I, I've got actually a, a letter that Gustavo wrote to us, so he asked me to read this. Uh, as you can tell, my brother Gustavo, who is a, a great friend of mine, not just a friend, but a mentor, in the, the relationship and the journeys that we've had in the last 20 years have shaped me significantly. So it, is, uh, it was my privilege to introduce him today. It's also my privilege to fill in for him, and it's, it's, uh, it's great just to have you here, Gustavo. Thank you for being here. And, you know, of course, we're going to abuse our relationship to get you back again soon so that you can actually speak to the ENC community. But here are Gustavo's words for today. Listen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of the Lord. Today is the first day of Lent. This is a day of... Many of us join in solidarity to fast in preparation for celebration of Christ's passion and resurrection. As I was preparing to share the message this morning, I was again taken to the scripture of the message as it is presented in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And I was thinking also what to give up as a fast for this Friday of Lent. The Lord directed me to speak to fast speaking, and I had no, the Lord directed me to fast speaking, and I had no choice this morning. I uh, woke up without a voice, literally. I had the privilege to share yesterday at the cafeteria with preaching students and told them that while there are many styles and formats of preaching, the only non-avoidable and non-negotiable was that by 
living out what we preach, which at times does not require or merit words. So here today, we are here and present. I am unable to speak because of a severe chest cold, and yet the message needs to be delivered. I have asked Larry Bollinger, my good friend and colleague, someone with whom we have journeyed together for 20 years on behalf of the poor around the world, to share the word of God with you. I told him his walk and testimony are worth 100 preached sermons. Thank you. Before he shares with you, let me live you some words, let me give you some words of wisdom from a person with a platform but without a voice. To act justly means, as described by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 58, verse 5 and 6, is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? This is the kind of fasting that I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cord of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke, to right the wrongs, to speak on behalf of the voiceless, to stand for the oppressed and harassed, to protect the rights of the immigrant, the refugee, and the poor. To love mercy means to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. But to be honest, if you act only, if you only act justly, justly, Without loving mercy, you are nothing but a politician or an activist. If you only act justly and love mercy, you are still nothing but a good person with altruism. To do all of this, you must walk humbly before the Lord. I thank the Lord for the opportunity to de decrease while He increases today. Thank you, Larry, for speaking for me not only today, but also the many times you have done so on behalf of the voiceless. Peace, Gustavo. Thank you, Gustavo. We were uh, sitting with a group of church leaders when one of the church leaders uh, stood up and he began to speak a familiar a narrative. He said, man, the, the refugees and the immigrants that are coming into our country are taxing our social services. They're taking our low-wage jobs, making it difficult for people to enter the job market. And he went on and on, the list that you can imagine you would find as we debate the issue of immigration. Only the difference is this wasn't taking place here in the United States. You see, I had just come from Syria, and we were working with the church in Jordan, and we were talking about how the church in Jordan was going to respond to the influx of refugees coming from Syria and Iraq and other places across the Middle East, and the difficulty that it was for them as they began to work in these communities. At another time, I was in a place in Indonesia where the church had most definitely been oppressed. In fact, there I was filling in for a pastor. I was the speaker that morning at church. 
And uh, some people in the church, they came to me and they said, uh, Larry, we need to change the time of the service this morning. We were supposed to have you up at 11 o'clock, but we think we'd like to have the service at 8 o'clock. Is that okay? And I said, sure, but, but why? And he said, well, there happens to be a, a marched riot today planned in the street, and it is specifically uh, fundamental Muslims marching against Christians, and their path takes them right by our church, and we'd like to not be in there when they pass. We think it wouldn't be safe for us. So I said, well, how about 7 o'clock? Then a couple years later, one of the worst disasters, the worst natural disasters in modern history occurred, the tsunami in 2004. In Indonesia was the worst hit out of 13 countries that were affected by the tsunami. Indonesia was the worst hit. You may have seen pictures in Bande Aceh and other places throughout Indonesia where hundreds of thousands of people had been affected. Tens of thousands of lives were wiped out, and there was just mass destruction for miles and miles and miles. And we sat down with the church leaders, and we're talking in Indonesia about how we are going to respond. And what became very clear to me was that the response was going to be very, very limited because many people in the church hated, hated the extreme Muslims in Indonesia, the ones that had been most affected by this disaster. And we would have conversations that would go in circle, yes, but we can't serve those people, those people, and far be it from us to judge what that would feel like, right? To have been in a place where Christians had been a and killed and, and violent acts committed against them. But it was difficult to have the conversation about how the church was going to respond. Let me tell you a friend of Lynn and I, actually Gustavo too, his name is Simone Pierre and his uh, wife Caritas. Simone and Caritas are from Rwanda, and if you've seen the movie Hotel Rwanda, some of you will remember the history. You know, I, all these things seem like just yesterday to me, but uh, how many students were born alive in 1994, 96? All right, a couple of us. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I'll just tell you, there was a genocide happening in Rwanda. Maybe you've read about it. Maybe you've seen the movie Hotel Rwanda. But it was two tribes that had been pitted against each other uh, by colonialists that had set up the government at back 100 years ago, turn of the century. It was the Hutus and the Tutsis. The Hutus were short and stout people, strong. And the Tutsis were tall, beautiful, slender people. And the colonialists came in and said, well, we think that we are going to put the tall, slender, beautiful people in positions of authority over the Hutus 
And you can imagine the animosity that that created for the next hundred years. And so there was a fighting that would go back and forth. And sometimes the Hutus would win and they'd be in charge of the government. And other times the Tutsis would win and be in charge of the government. There was so much hatred and animosity in Rwanda that by the mid-1990s, they were training young children in school how to hate their neighbor. They would do arithmetic like this, you know, if I had five Tootsies and I killed two Tootsies, how many Tootsies would I have left? Can you imagine? This was happening in their schools. And then there was this group called the Inner Hamwe, this militant Hutu group that was wandering around the countryside training Hutus how to kill Tootsies with just a machete or, a, or sticks or rocks or whatever it took. And they had this plan, this whole genocide plan that boiled over in 1994 when an announcement came across the radio that it was time, it was time to kill the tall trees and wipe the Tootsies out. There were sociologists who had thought that Tootsies a thousand years ago perhaps had migrated down the Nile River. And uh, in Africa, the Nile River is a river that flows south to north. And so the announcement came over the radio, kill the Tootsies and throw them into the river and we'll send them back from where they came. You may have seen pictures or videos of thousands and thousands of bodies floating down the river. This was the context where Simon and Caritas, Simon, who was a Hutu, and Caritas, his wife, who was a Tutsi, were living in, in Kigali, Rwanda. And in the middle of all of that, they decided that Caritas needed to leave the country with the children for their own safety. And so they, they had a friend who had a truck that was going to hide them and try to get them out of the country, but the inner Hamwe stopped the truck. Stopped the truck, pulled Caritas and her children out. They actually put a machete in Caritas's hand and told her to kill her own children. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the hatred that that would create in you? Let me talk about this scripture. First Corinthians chapter 13. We heard a little bit about this earlier this week. Now we're going to talk about it in the most difficult circumstances. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. 
if I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Listen, many of my friends as I traveled the world have had opportunity to have not love. There, there may be some of us who for whatever reason you can harbor in your heart a very justifiable not love. Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe somebody did something to you. Maybe some of the atrocities that I spoke of, somehow some of that feels close to home. Maybe somebody close to you and your family hurt you in ways that you can't imagine. Or maybe it's not as complicated as that. Maybe it's just somebody didn't treat you here like you thought they should. And inside of ourselves, we harbor this not love. Not love. Let me finish my stories. So, Caritas was eventually set free. The truck driver was able to bribe the inner Hamwe to allow her to go. So they said, hey, we'll take your money and we'll take your possessions and we'll get her later. So he got in the truck, snuck them out of the country. There were, by the way, someday we're going to have them come speak in chapel. Maybe next year. I know the chaplain. Maybe we can figure this out. <laughs> You'll hear this story firsthand. As time went on, Simone was working with the church on behalf of the poor and those oppressed in Rwanda and in Kigali, he eventually found his wife in a refugee camp and they reunited. They came back to Kigali when it was safe as a couple and as a family. And in Rwanda, you, you need to know this, this is not uncommon in developing countries, that it is not the government that supplies assistance to prisoners. 
that if the family didn't show up every day at the prison, uh, prisoners, prisoners would starve to death. That was the case here in Rwanda. And somebody had arrested the perpetrators, the people that had done these terrible, terrible things to Caritas. And Caritas and Simone found out about these things. And do you know what they did? They, understanding and not allowing not love to rule the day, became the family of their offenders. And in an act that can only exist inside of us through the transformative experience of Jesus Christ, they began coming daily to the prison, providing food and clothes and supplies to the prisoners, the members of the inner homway, the specific members that had threatened to kill Caritas and her children. Love. We were also talking about a story with my friends in Indonesia. And I, I have to tell you, I didn't walk away from the meeting after tsunami with great feelings about what we were going to do in the country. In fact, uh, Gustavo knows we, we limited the size of the budget that we spent in Indonesia, the country that was definitely the most needy, because we tried to do all of our programming through local congregations, and there was a deep unwillingness in Indonesia for them to serve the people who needed it most after the tsunami. And I would go back and we would have long conversations about the mission of God, God's love, and how we could overcome these things. But uh, it was to no avail until a year later, there was a big earthquake in Jokjakarta. And I got news that they wanted to talk. And so I sat down with the church leaders and I said, hey, what are we, what are we doing? What's going on? And they said, Larry, we just, we want you to know that uh, we are now becoming the servants of the Muslims who were rioting against us. And without even asking for resources or money from the general denomination, they began taking the, the clothes from their closets and the food from their cupboards, and they began to go out and serve in the communities of the Muslims that had been oppressing them for so long in Jakarta, in Indonesia, in this part of Indonesia, because they decided that they wanted to have love and to do away with not love. My friends at the meeting in, in Jordan, um, when this man had stood up and he began to complain about people pouring into the country from Syria and Iraq and all of these conflicts in the Middle East and taxing the government and the social services of people in the Middle East, there was about five pastors who stood up behind him and said, let me tell you what we believe. And again, like my friends in Indonesia, they had mobilized their churches to in acts of love and grace and mercy began to serve the refugees that were pouring across the, the, the border at their, to their own peril and to their own expense. 
they were working in schools, trying to get them into to school. Imagine refugee kids, right? They get displaced. They have no more access to education. Well, in their churches in Indonesia, they had access to education because local congregations decided to love and not have not love. I just want to tell you and to share with you that the transformation that takes place in us in Christ is not just about our eternal life. I mean, it's good, I want to go to heaven, but this isn't just a conversation about the pie in the sky when we die, right? And if in your life exists this thing of not love for whatever reason, I can bear witness to the fact that people in the most difficult of circumstances with the most opportunity to have embedded in their heart not love, that God has overcome all of those circumstances and replaced not love with love. So maybe this morning as we're thinking about our community, you're thinking about your life, I want you to think about the people and the circumstances in your life that create this not love. And I want you to give it over to Christ in a way that only He can transform you so that you can, we can all be witnesses to the testimony that we see from our friends like Caritas and my friends in the Middle East, my friends in Indonesia, who have turned over a new leaf, who have decided to live the love chapter, who have decided in a season where we could be just pious, which is nothing wrong with us picking the things that we want to fast from as we explore our faith. But listen to the scripture where it says, but this is the fast that I have required of you to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God.